from We First and Goal 17 Media. Welcome to Lead with We. I'm Simon Mannering, and today I'm speaking with Karim Gahed, CEO of John Hardy, a fine jewelry brand that's deeply committed to ethical production, who share with us how your brand can embody purposeful values and initiatives that build your business, and how to be an exemplar within your industry to transform it for the better. Karim, welcome to Lead with We. Thank you so much for having me, Simon. You know, when I mentioned the brand John Hardy, there was audible gasps from my wife, my daughters, and so on. But for those who don't know what the brand is, tell us a little bit about it and sort of, you know, it's Bartolini's heritage. Sure. No, that's that's great hearing that there is there is resonance there. But for those who don't know it, we are a, a fine jewelry brand um, that sort of started in the 70s um, out of a vision from... Uh, a gentleman with the namesake of this brand, and it's it's a really special brand. It's a special brand that has uh, richness in purpose, richness in sustainability. Um, again, built from a foundation again over over fifty years ago. It, it started in Bali, and there's a deep connection to community there and a nature that is just sort of baked into the culture. Don't know if you've been there or not, but it is quite. Um, it, it's quite uh, grasping when you get there. You are just automatically sucked into the to the culture, and as we've grown over those decades, um, you know, as a business and as a jewelry brand, we continue to just come back to those Balinese roots. It's really important for us to stay very true to that. And at the core of our company, it it, it is around artisanship, community sustainability, and activism. Again, core to the Balinese heritage. Um, and those pillars really embody everything that we do. I think that's really interesting what you're saying. I mean, was it sort of a function of the local culture that really informed the brand and why the brand was born? Or is it something that you've laid on top? How does it, which way has it worked? No, it really, it really is. It starts with the culture. It starts with the power and the magic from Bali. John, who was who was very interested to learn about the culture and was, was mystified by these artisans and their jewelry making process and not just jewelry making process, just everything that artisans do and how they live their life on, on an island. And then those core values continued and we sort of just mold and nurture those values throughout that time we, of course, have added some things to some of those pillars like activism um, because we do want to be relevant in changing the world to be a better place. But the core essence of, of the brand all started at the beginning in Bali. And I, I was really excited to talk to you because there's sort of three areas that are all interesting in their own right, but together it's super interesting, which is you're a smaller brand compared to the big global companies out there. You're rooted in Balinese heritage and so on, but also you were purposeful and sort of mission-driven out of the gate. So the triangulation of those three is really, really interesting. Was it a function of the namesake for the brand that you started out that way? Was it something that grew over time? Because a lot of the folks listening are younger, smaller brands, and they wonder, you know, when does that start? And was it something out of the gate? And how has that driven your business? You know, I think it's rooted in, in the communication, right? And the sharing of those pillars and of what John found to be so unique in Bali and what is so unique in Bali um, and what is so unique, therefore, of the company. 
and and really over the past couple of years, there's there's ways to do it. Um, but what we have done over the past, I would say, five years is we have we have begun to share that story. Um, we have begun to be passionate about sharing that story and courageous in the story that we share. Um, and in an industry that's a little conservative, right, to be able to share some of these components around community and the power of community and unity and diversity and sustainability and how important that is to the brand first, right, and the business second. Um, and then to, to be able to help human equality around activist um, initiatives and supporting less fortunate um, globally, we also would share that story. Um, and that's, that's been something as, as of recent. And I want to I push into some of those different initiatives that you're doing in a second. But, you know, there's an inherent tension in the brand, which I think is fascinating, which is, you know, luxury brands typically elevate their brand. You know, the whole strength and appeal and cachet of the brand is how rarefied they are. And yet at the same time, you're talking about doing something which is very community focused and purpose driven and sustainability driven. So do you find you're the exception to the rule or do you think that more luxury brands need to be doing this? How do you see that sort of shake out? I think it's both. Um, I believe right now we are the exception to the rule and, and our sort of mantra has been, you know, when you think about these pillars and you think about what the brand is standing for and what it needs to stand for, uh, it, this is, we, we want to be able to share this to everyone. And we want people to be able to access everything that we offer at John Hardy. And of course, there are price points that may not, but there certainly are price points that are. Um, and even if they don't purchase something at John Hardy, to be able to just tell that story and go, uh, go through that, that journey with them is really important to us. I do really hope that, and I'm starting to see brands following in that footsteps and again, being courageous around those types of pillars um, to guide their actions as well as, as, as they sort of craft their future strategy and their future roadmap. I think there's a word you've spoken to a couple of times, courageous, which it's easy to skip over, but is absolutely critical in terms of your role as CEO, leadership inside the company, and how you show up in your marketing. So help us understand not just what courageous means to you from a leadership point of view, but when does that show up? You know, when the rubber hits the road inside the company. I mean, for me, it means try, try new things, be, um, be open to failure, right? Be open for people to, crit to be critical of some of those um, actions that you've taken. Um, especially if they are powerful in my meaning, right? Mean, mean a lot to me or mean a lot to the company, which has, has happened and which is the case. Um, I, I think that that's, that's what courageous is and that's what's guided, you know, and helped. I, we have a, it's not just about one person and, you know, it, it, I am a big team kind of, kind of guy. We have courage everywhere in our business, right? From artisans who are making the product to the team members in a distribution center during coronavirus, you know, who have to deal with that for the stores that are on the front line. Um, and everyone's courage is sort of linked up to this excitement around these pillars and just being able again to, to amplify those and to talk about those. And if somebody says, look, we don't agree with your stances, 
that's okay as, a, as our community and with these beliefs of making the world a better place, we're okay with it. Give us a sense of the size of the company, where you're based, and then, because you, you have a larger kind of brand perception out there than perhaps the size of the company. So give us a sense of that. So, so we are a vertical business. Um, and what that means is that all of our product, so that this sort of end-to-end -end relationship of product is, is owned by us. Um, we have two production facilities, one in Bali, which is really our home and our birthplace, as I mentioned earlier, that houses about four to 500 artisans, and then um, a hospitality group, and then we have some, some um, corporate team members there. We have a very similar setup in Bangkok, which is the jewelry capital of the world. There is a expertise in how to craft jewelry in, in Bangkok, especially around diamonds and stonework and gold. Um, we have an office in Hong Kong. Um, it's a satellite commercial office. And then in New York, the majority of our leadership team is based in New York. Uh, the majority of our businesses in the United States, even though it has been much more balanced over the past couple of years, with supporting team members in the field. So all in all, we're about a 1,200 employee organization. And we are smaller, to your point, than some of our competitors. We don't feel that way. We don't think that way. Right. Um, and it actually is advantageous to us because we are nimble, flexible, courageous. We can fail and learn from our failures and move forward to our successes. So I, I really agree with you there. I think sometimes people, especially founders or CEOs of young companies, they aspire to be bigger. They're going to be legitimized when they're bigger. But at no point in time are you limited by the breadth of your ambition. I mean, you look at companies that have come out of the gate and they want to solve for climate change or save planet Earth. You know, there, there are companies that just really out of the gate really just want to take the biggest bite out of the impact that they can have. And one of the persistent issues in and around the jewelry business and diamonds and other things as well is the transparency around supply chain. You mentioned hubs like Bangkok and so on. You know, it's one thing to control your own little corner of the world, which might be Bali and how you treat people and so on. But how do you make sure that through the entire value chain of the industry that you don't then dilute your values or compromise what you stand for? And because in the fashion world, often the tier three, tier four supplier is using child labor or something, and even the auditing and fair trade doesn't catch it. So what do you do? So again, I think this goes back to our roots, right? When we think about how the jewelry is made at John Hardy and has been made for centuries in Bali, it's, it's ethical in nature. It's all about the hand, the touch. What does that mean to be you're like an ethical gemstone, for example? So, so, so it, to us, you know, it's about these, these timeless traditions of purity, right? Natural purity in which it really has not been stained, if you will, right? By others touching it. Instead, an, an artisan, and we see this beautiful collective, right? We have, we have women who weave our classic chain from the silver link to this really long, beautiful woven chain. And then, and then it, gets, it gets cut accordingly. And we have that transparency from all of that journey. We work closely directly with suppliers and full transparency on suppliers from our metals, which are all reclaimed, 
um, silver and gold. And then same with our stones, ethically sourced stones. We are a part of RJC, which is the Responsible Jewelry Council, which helps specifically in this sector of jewelry and watches to help brands, and, and we are a part of that, to understand how to be more sustainable and how to, how to, to help this planet. And then we also follow the Kimberley process, which relates specifically to stones and making sure they're conflict-free. So right. us being a vertical company is more than just this end-to-end um, -end component. It's understanding every single mechanism in which our jewelry touches and then ends up into a client's hand. And do you see the industry improving? And, and as a subset of that, like, what does reclaimed metal mean? I, I, clearly, I don't buy enough jewelry for my wife. I should know what reclaimed metal is. But like, you know, what is reclaimed metal? And then are you working with the industry in interesting ways to kind of level up practices? Because I'm sure it still has a long way to go, right? So, so I do believe the industry is moving in this direction. I think the growth within RJC has been immense uh, since its inception. So I, I would say hats off to the RJC and hats off to the organizations that are joining that because it is a stringent process to become a part of the, the RJC. Uh, I think for, for reclaimed metals and reclaimed materials, this is about reuse, right? and being able to not take anything again that disrupts the planet, right? And that we are able to reuse metals that have been reused. And in our case specifically, they have been reused and, and validated and verified where they're coming. Obviously for us, it's sterling silver and it's gold. So we, we know that that has been reused and we continue to do that. Even so far, I've seen in our compound, in our workshop specifically, we use a tree, right, to be able to create all of these items, right? There might be eight rings on a tree. Right. You re, you re, um, you remelt that silver or gold tree down and continue to reuse that, so that there is no waste to the to the metals. Um, and and I think the 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 other very interesting thing is we we utilize a system in Bali. There is water that is used throughout this process. In our Bali compound, we actually have a water waste treatment facility that takes that water that has obviously been dirtied right through the cleaning process. We clean that water. We run it through a fish pond to make sure that that water is, is crystal clear. It then irrigates the land. The, the workshop is on 400 acres. It irrigates the lands and the farm crop on that land that ultimately we use to harvest and then feed the employees in Bali. So again, another route of reuse, right? And, uh, and, um, and, and, and naturing, nurturing nature. And how do you go about executing that? Because I love the idea of really looking at all aspects of the value chain, making sure that all your source materials are responsible, but then making sure the very process itself is constantly sort of circular and gives back. Is this something you stand back with and look from a macro point of view, even as a you know, smaller brand out there and say, let's be very intentional about that? Or is it something that you, know, you sort of troubleshoot different areas and you've kind of built it over time? Because this all helps everybody listening about how they go about it. I mean, look, it is, it's, it's probably a blend of those two things, but, but what, how we believe in it is, is again, this, this this link of the community to nature, right? You can even argue that the nature is a part of this community and we don't, we want to nurture it. 
and we don't want to negatively impact it. It is around, you know, people talk about carbon footprint. We do a couple of initiatives and all of these initiatives do that for us to become net positive. Right. Um, so it is, it is driven by us. Of course, there are potentially strategic initiatives that we want to focus on like the wastewater treatment component. Um, but there are others in which we have a SUVAC, which is an irrigation system that runs throughout all of Bali. And as we built the workshop, we built over that as to not disrupt it. This is a strategic components here that again, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that gets filtered. We talk about artisanship, sustainability, community, and activism. It really does guide everything that we do. And, you know, before I go off supply chain, you know, you hear a lot of talk in the industry about, you know, the role of blockchain and really helping people get sort of verifiable um, line of sight onto where every source material comes from and how it's moving around the world. Are you seeing any exciting, er you know, developments in that area? I think more and more are moving towards this uh, reclaimed and recycled materials. We used to be sort of one of the only. I think there are more, especially these up and coming brands. I think there's a lot of conversations around lab-grown diamonds and what that means to the business. And uh, I think we're still truly trying to understand the end-to-end -end there to make sure that um, that is truly a sustainable initiative. Um, but there is innovation that's happening in this space, which is great to see, especially other, other industries, I think, are slightly ahead. But the jewelry industry is, is starting to move in that direction. Coming back to culture and your people and the artisans, you know, you're the biggest employer on the island, correct? We are. So that, that puts a huge onus on you to not only recognize, um, you know, those intrinsic values that make the whole culture so special, but to nurture them, protect them, look after the people. What are some of the things you do there to make sure that you have that social license to operate, that the artisans want to work with you? I mean, I mean for us, it, it is around making sure their working experience is an amazing experience. Um, in, in, in not only from a, um, a brand component, the, the team members in Bali are so proud of the work that they do. This is their work. You see in the pictures and the assets that we share, their hands, right? I'm wearing pieces of jewelry, it's from someone's hands. And being able to amplify and share that story makes a proud Balinese artisan even prouder. Um, we, we work through employee engagement programs, right? Being able to take away, take a, a day away from the, from the process and go and help out communities. Um, we do, a, I think they are very proud, not only about telling their story about the handcrafted nature of, of the jewelry, but also how we support others within that community less fortunate. We have um, programs in which we support Balinese orphans that work in our workshop. Um, so, so they get really, and, and we listen. We have this past week, um, and we do them every two months, we have an all-hands call that brings all four of the entities together. We take questions, and we listen, and we provide surveys, and we answer some of the questions, and we provide high-level updates and I think that that goes back to that team component. We want to hear from the team in Bali. How do you guys feel? How are you doing during this most recent wave of COVID spike? 
right? How can we protect you? How can we help you? How can we make sure that you feel safe and you feel secure? And how do you codify that? Because on one level, it's a come from where you hire people and everyone who works for you is connected by your values and just approaches things that way. It's another thing, I think, to codify it. I know you have the John Hardy workshop. So give us a sense of what that is and what sort of a container that is for all of the things you're talking about. Yeah, so, so the workshop, it, it, it's a special place. It, it's sort of nestled in a very remote part of the island. And it, it's kind of this oasis, oasis, it's lush, there's green, there's nature everywhere. And it's quite, again, peaceful. And to me, it's not really a workshop, right? When you even think about it, and I use the word and I probably shouldn't use the word, but it is a place where creation happens all of the product is designed there, hand-sketched by a team of designers that are adjacent to where the actual product is made. You get to see that interaction um, and that sharing. Everybody is sharing within, within the workshop. And it's just, again, quite harmonious with our surroundings, with the community. And look, the, the, the compound is made out of green materials. Here's something really interesting. If John Hardy decided to move locations in Bali and close the workshop and the boutique down and all of the structures, it's made out of bamboo. In three months, it would all be a part of nature with no impact, no negative impact. What is above and beyond the reputation and you get more followers and you know people will stay and work with you longer, is there any other ROI that you can point to to really help people understand that you know, when you you're come from with a business is really grounded in the role that the brand plays in other people's lives, it's actually good for their business. What would you share? I, I mean, I think, I think the most important thing for us isn't necessarily about the followers or the immediate gratification right. and potentially as us a purchase, right? It's a long-term view and a long-term vision being able to share the story with multiple generations, especially the younger generation, which isn't something that John Hardy necessarily as a company did until again, the last few years and being able to talk to them and listen to them. Um, you know, so when you think about followers on Instagram, yeah, okay. But what's interesting are the commentary, right? It's the commentary from social outlets. It's the commentary when someone visits our workshop in Bali. It's the commentary from somebody having a fantastic experience by shopping online. Or it's the commentary from, you know, uh, how we supported Earth Day or Black History Month. And, and, and hearing those, good or bad, is what's really important, important for us. But all of those components have certainly led to much, much higher engagement, follower growth, the business is strong and healthy and is growing. And so we're excited about that. And if you could wave a wand and challenge the entire industry to change in one way, where you see, you know, in terms of how it's moving and it's getting more positive in terms of its, you know, role in the world, what's the, what's the big unlock that you're looking to now that you'd want on behalf of every, every jewelry brand? Take a stand. I think the brands should, should take stands on the values that we've shared, right? And that are similar to ours, they don't have to be exact, but I think we know that our values have uh, an ultimate purpose, right? To be able to, again, uh, protect this planet and, and to protect humans from inequalities. 
and do so in a, in a courageous manner, like I said, take a stand, talk about it. Um, I think that would be the, the most, the, the most beneficial for, for jewelry, jewelry sector brands in the jewelry sector. And you've had the you know, wonderful opportunity and privilege of leading a brand that is so inherently kind of purposeful and so on. Any one piece of advice that you give to founders, you know, CEOs of young companies, multinational C-suite you know, executives, just from a leadership point of view, what's a piece of advice you give them? Listen, respect, reflect, and I'm going to take a page out of your book, Simon, act as we. Well, it's hard to argue with that. <laughs> Corinne, thank you so much for sharing what informs these beautiful objects that John Hardy makes, but also sharing sort of the heart and soul of the brand and for the insights in terms of what leadership needs to look like moving forward. So a real pleasure to have you on Lead With We. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you, Simon. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead With We. Our show is produced by Goal 17 Media. And you can always find more information about our guests in the show notes of each episode. Make sure you subscribe to Lead With We on Apple, Google, or Spotify. And do share it with your friends and colleagues. You can also watch our episodes on YouTube at We First TV. And I'm super excited to share that my new book, Lead With We, is out now on Amazon, Google Books, and Barnes & Noble. So check it out. See you next episode. And until then, let's all lead with we.